Ben, good to be back. Uh, always good to be back, Julia. Uh, and we're going to another part of the world, another side of the world today, which is very exciting. And I'm going to pick your brains. Mm-hmm. I am often uh, introduced to people as she of the 20 questions. So I'm going to do that with you because I haven't been to Japan and you have been. <laughs> as long as there's only 20 questions, Julia. There are. That'll and, be fine. That'll be fine. And as you always <laughs> lapse into languages, go on, off you go. I'm at a bit of a loss, maybe a konnichiwa. Oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> arigato. Something like arigato gozaimasu. There you are. You've done a, can you give us a third? Uh, teppanyaki. <laughs> Doko nikimasuka. You don't even know what that means. I think it means, um, <laughs> where are you going? So yeah. okay, we're going now to, to Japan. Japan and I'm going to start asking you questions. So, right. Well, can I ask you a question? Yes, absolutely. What do you, what do you think of when you think of Japan? Um, what I springs have to mind? Very exciting thoughts about Japan uh, because in Better Homes and Gardens we've done an enormous amount of features on Japanese blossom time. So I have seen the most exquisite images of blossoms in Japan and also archways that go on forever of wisteria. Mm. So amazing and fields and fields of a particular type of blue flower that even to see in images I can imagine that once in Japan and being part of that would be extraordinary. Well, their gardens are, you know, understandably, um, you know, incredibly famous and beautiful, aren't they? They, they are. <laughs> and, of course, then it's become one of the most popular, if not the most popular, skiing destination now in the world. Uh, it is amazing. My social media feed every January and February is just filled with my friends on the slopes in Japan. I'm looking forward to doing that next. But let's start with you having been there. Yeah. In truth, a little bit of a novice, but I um, spent a couple of days in Tokyo. Um, it was a, very much a whistle-stop trip for work, so my kind of getting out and about was typically after dark. So sort of um, found myself out exploring the streets and seeking nice things to eat and little alleyways and nooks and crannies to, to kind of explore. So you know when you go to other parts of Asia, the food is there and apparent and you just go from one small eating place to another, whether you're even looking or not. Is Japan the same? Very much the same. But I, I had a, a friend with me who had grown up in Japan and so he knew some incredible little, you know, restaurants that were six floors up in a building that you just wouldn't have had any idea from street level that there was something in there. So having having someone with some insider knowledge, I guess, like anywhere, really, really adds to the experience. But, yeah, there's food everywhere. And what's your favourite Japanese dish? Well, you know I love food on a stick, Julia. Love food on a you, stick? You know I, I love food on a stick, you know, so, carnival food and <laughs> Is that a toffee apple as well? Because it was no. No, so never, go, no, no, toffee apples are never good, are they? They're always floury um, and soft on the inside. <laughs> they promise so much and then deliver so so little. <laughs> so yeah. back to Japan. Yeah. So uh, um, food on a stick in Japan for me is yakitori, so like uh, mostly chicken skewers, but yes. pretty much the whole bird. So you'll have, you know, there'll be skewers with thigh, some with breast, oh um, others with, you know, neck and various organs, those kind of things. So you can get as adventurous as you like, but I usually cooked on like a hibachi over coal, so you get that lovely kind of scorched um, barbecue flavour and um, delicious, a really good introduction to Japanese food. So did you go after the normal foods that we love here, which is tempura and teriyaki and those wonderful dishes that yeah, we can't a, get enough of? fantastic And bento milk. boxes. Well, yeah, but um, I didn't have an individual bento box, but a few of us went to a, a sushi restaurant and had this massive platter of just incredible sushi. And I just, I love it because it's so simple, you know, rice, beautifully seasoned with a lovely, 
you know, piece of fish or something on top. It's just the, the greatest. So give us the top three things that you saw when you were there or experienced. So I just as a kind of overarching thing, there's this odd kind of mix of really elegant, you know, of elegance and total eccentricity in Japan. Like if you think about their design and their sense of um, architecture and their gardens and and fashion and everything, it's very can be very, very elegant, but it's totally eccentric as well. So, um, you know, when you think about uh, anime and manga culture and the crazy outfits that the, you know, the locals wear around Harajuku and you know, there's all that eccentricity. Um, and then that, that extends into all parts of life. And, and you know, and a great example is um, in Tokyo, the alleyways that have bars in them. Yes. So I, I went into a couple of bars that literally had seats for four people in them. That was the whole, the whole bar. There was, you know, maybe two metres squared. Half of that was taken up with the bar and then a couple of stools. And a really, really big one had this ladder into an upstairs room that was the same kind of dimension with just three bench seats around the side. So you kind of in these tiny weeny spaces that are oddly communal because you're kind of sitting on top of, of one another and decorated extremely eccentrically. So, you know, this this room was red walls with gilt picture frames everywhere and just kind of you feel like you've stepped into a totally different So world. when people come home from Japan now and they say uh, Tokyo is just thrilling beyond belief and their experience in Japan um, has been among the best of their travel experiences. Is is that what they're talking about or is it the mix of Japanese history and culture, which is so beautiful, uh, Japanese um, original costume, kimonos? Is, the, is it kimono or kimono? Do we know the correct pronunciation I'm of this? Sure. And we'd question. love someone to tell mm-hmm. us, yes. So is that as apparent as... We see it from the western side of the world when you get there. You see absolutely everything all at once over there. So whatever you're seeking as a traveller, I mean, it might just be that you're going through Tokyo, for example, to the ski fields or something like that, and you just have a little kind of whistle stop on the way through as a to break the journey, that kind of thing. And and you can just take Tokyo however you however you want to. So now you're going back. Yes, I can't wait. And that's for? Well, look, in addition to being a travel tragic, I'm a rugby tragic as well. So Japan's ah. hosting the Rugby World Cup later this year and um, my son and I are uh, heading over for a few weeks to um, to take all of that. And actually, he doesn't know he's going yet, so maybe he might if he listens to the podcast. That I don't might... know you. We've never met. Yeah, okay. <laughs> exactly. Right. So, yeah, I can't wait. So that, that will take us to half a dozen cities, uh, yes. mostly in the south of Japan. So we're flying into Fukuoka on the island of... Fukuoka. F-U-K-U-O-K-A. Okay. Um, and we'll be exploring the island of Kyushu, going to yes. three cities in, on Kyushu, um, and then flying up into Osaka, spending some time in and around Osaka and Kyoto, and possibly a dash down to Hiroshima to have a look at that. Oh, wow. Um, before heading towards Tokyo and then out of Tokyo um, in the middle of October. So what do you think, why has it changed so much or why has it become such a destination for travellers? So for me who hasn't been, if you were telling me why I had to go, apart from all that you've just said, what what are a couple of the moments that you had there that you couldn't repeat anywhere else in the world? It's just uniquely Japanese. It sounds silly, but that country is absolutely... Absolutely unique. Um, I think one of the big changes for Australians in maybe the last decade was this changing perception that Japan was a really expensive destination. Yes. I think when, you know, you probably heard that back and in the day. And still think that, and it's but not no, true. No, it's absolutely not. 
No. So I think people have kind of got their heads around what it costs to go to Japan. There are low-cost airlines flying there now, so you can get there for next to nothing if you nab a really good sail fare. Um, where Australians have been travelling to North America in winter to ski, Japan's, you know, significantly right closer. Now, yes. And you also get that totally different cultural experience. So it ticks a lot of boxes for a lot of people these days. So, of course, we've got coming up and uh, pretty much in a year's time, uh, the Olympics Unbelievable. Back-to-back. Back-to-back. And they are considered to be the best prepared Olympics ever. I'm not surprised Because I think they've got five major stadiums and three are already complete Mm -hmm. and there'll be – the other two will be complete very soon and it doesn't start for another, you know, year or so. No, and you can imagine everything will run on time, on schedule, on budget and it will be um, – it'll be brilliant. Enjoy, Ben. Let us know how it goes and maybe we'll go to the Olympics together next year to do something. Sounds like – sounds like a date. It is going to be a stunning show. Listeners, I'm now very excited to introduce Sally Miles, who is the Marketing Assistant Manager at the Japan National Tourism Organization. How amazing and how wonderful and welcome to you, Sally. We're very excited to have you here. Thank you so much, Julia. It's an absolute honor. I'm very excited to talk with you about Japan today. Uh, Listen, a a stunning place. Um, And I haven't been. Ben has, of course. Um... And I'm really keen to hear from you. I'm sure you are too, Ben. Absolutely, yeah. Can't wait. About what we should do and see and eat. When people think about Japan, Ben, what do they think about? Well, I think about lots of things, to be honest. But uh, one of the things I think about are those amazing Japanese gardens and that kind of design aesthetic. And in particular, cherry blossoms, Japanese maples, that kind of things. uh, Those kind of things come to mind. Now, Cherry Blossom Festival is massive. Yep. And it's probably on a lot of our listeners' lists as something they really want to see. Absolutely. When and where do we have to um, line things up to see that? So the cherry blossoms, um, I'd like to start by saying the reason the cherry blossoms are so powerful and so important in Japan is they sort of represent the ephemerality of life, how fleeting life is. The cherry blossoms themselves are only in full bloom for about one week. So in total, Hmm. from when the buds just start to blossom to when they're falling off the trees, it's just about two weeks. So when you talk about when's the best time to go and see them, (laughs) it's very hard to predict because Hmm. you can only see them for about two weeks, and it really depends on the weather. Generally speaking, if you're talking about that Kyoto, Tokyo, sort of the main parts of Japan, um, they bloom from late March to early April, somewhere in there. And that's also a really significant time for Japan because that's the start of their financial year and the start of the school year. So it's a really exciting time for kids to go into school or to start uni or to start a new job. And they've got the cherry blossoms blooming, reminding them that everything starts. And yes, everything will come to an end Hmm. at some point. So enjoy it while it lasts. That's lovely. So one of the things that I hear about Japan all the time apart from the cherry blossoms, which we all have to see before we die, is skiing. It's become people's most favourite ski destination that you hear so often. Sally, my my Facebook feed every January is just endless photos from the Japanese ski fields. Fantastic. And where do you go when you ski? (laughs) Well, it's not me. It's my friends. I Ah. sit at home, like, you know, shaking my (laughs) fist at my my device. But um, they're usually, I think, around... um, 
Nagano, okay. that, yeah. that kind of area. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So Japan is an amazing place to ski because not only is this incredible world-class powder snow, but you've got these great world-class resorts and you've got that amazing Japanese culture. Mm. And a very unique thing that Japan offers is the fact that you can ski and see cherry blossoms <laughs> same time of the year oh, if you plan wow. it just right. Mm-hmm. Is there anything more perfect? <laughs> <laughs> there good. is. Enjoying the cherry blossoms after a day of skiing from a hot spring bath out in the snow. How good does that sound? Could there be monkeys, macaques? <laughs> there could yeah. indeed. See, now you've taken it up another level. <laughs> so Nagano, which you yeah. mentioned, is one of the main areas for skiing in Japan. Um, that's got some of the, the biggest world-class resorts. That's where, of course, the Winter Olympics mm-hmm. were held in 98. Mm-hmm. Um, but another of the major ski areas is up on the North Island, and that's on Hokkaido. So if you really want kind of a new, interesting, undiscovered ski resort that's still got world-class facilities, try visiting the Tohoku region. You know, if you go to Nagano or if you go to Sapporo, you will have some great ski, you'll have some great Japanese culture, and you'll be surrounded by a lot of English speakers. Mm -hmm. So for some people, that's fantastic because you want that comfort. But maybe you're the type of traveler who wants something a little bit off the beaten path and you want to be just surrounded by Japanese people. If so, Tohoku is the place for you. So language is one thing, and you know, I've My understanding is there are some places where there's a lot of visitation from English speakers where there's a bit of English spoken. Once you get out of those areas, how how much of an issue is the language potentially? It's never going to be an issue, honestly. You'll find that if you visit some of the really small regional places that there won't be as many people who speak English, but they're still going to be very warm and welcoming. They're going to do whatever they can to communicate with you. Good. Another thing, um, I reckon for a long time, there was this perception that Japan was an expensive destination to visit. Mm-hmm. The, the vibe I get is that it's not. Is that? That's absolutely where, <clears throat> right. Absolutely. It can be sure. very expensive, but so can anywhere else. You can spend whatever it? you like. Ab- yeah. That's right. Mm. So I think some of the great things about Japan is just how cheap things can actually be. I mean, can you imagine going to a ramen restaurant and having a full meal for five bucks? Mm-hmm. I mean, would that ever happen in Australia? If it did, you probably wouldn't want to eat that ramen. (laughs) But no, I mean, and not just, not just the restaurants, but the convenience store food is great, actually. You can get a rice ball and onigiri for a hundred yen. It's like a buck fifty. Yeah. You can go to a noodle bar and eat for under ten dollars. Even Michelin starred restaurants in Tokyo and Kyoto have ramen noodles for under ten dollars. It can be very cheap to travel in Japan. Now, speaking of traveling in Japan, How are we getting around in Japan? Ben and I like the thought of a road trip usually, Um, whether it's in your own car or whether you're going by coach. What do you suggest is the best way, or trains even? Well, really, it's whatever you want to do. If you love a road trip, absolutely. Japan's a great place to do it, especially traveling from Australia, because in Japan, they drive on the same side of the Mm -hmm. road as we do, so it's very comfortable in that respect. The one caution for driving in Japan is that there aren't a lot of street signs in English. Highways, yes, but if you're driving around in smaller towns and such, less so. So it's really important to make sure you get a rental car with an English GPS. Yeah, Yeah, it's absolutely indispensable. (laughs) Do you need an international license or something to drive as an Australian? Just an international driver's permit, which you can get from your local um, motor agency or uh, NRMA or um, whatever the agency is in your state. Easy. Very easy. Trains we hear about all the time. 
Oh, the trains are fantastic. So depending on where you're going, car may be the best way to get around. If you wanted to explore Hokkaido or Kyushu or Shikoku Island, some of the the out-of-the-way islands, they may be better by car because while there are trains, car will give you a lot more flexibility. Mm -hmm. But if you're traveling just around the main island, say you're flying into Tokyo and out of Osaka and you want to do your sightseeing in and around there, trains are definitely the way to go. Now, I think a lot of people probably know about Japan's amazing bullet trains. You can travel from Tokyo to Osaka, which is similar to, say, the distance between Sydney and Melbourne in just about two and a half hours. No, that's ridiculous. (laughs) I I got a little bit excited there. I remember the first time I ever heard the phrase bullet train as a kid and I just got so excited. So I can't wait to actually step aboard one. It's a quintessential part of traveling in Japan and it's – it makes it a lot easier than flying in some ways, actually. Oh, I mean, yes. you could fly from Tokyo to Osaka in about half an hour, but you've still got to get to mm. and from the airports, mm-hmm. um, you know, plus the check-in time and all of that. So traveling by train between those cities is probably the best way to do it. And once you're in a city or, a you know, a town of any size, is walking a great way to see the place, to explore? You know, are they great walkable cities, the, the by big ones? By and large, yes. So Tokyo... Is, this is both a yes and no to that. Tokyo is a massive city. It's a mega city. There's mm-hmm. something like five or six different downtown Tokyos. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're all within the one city. So, yes, you can walk around, say, the Shinjuku area or the Ginza area. But those are about 20 minutes apart by train. Okay. So you wouldn't really want to walk between them. But you could walk, You spend a day walking around the Shinjuku Shibuya area. That's definitely doable. Same goes for Kyoto. Kyoto is a smaller city, but if you wanted to walk around the entirety of Kyoto, you'd probably want a few days to to do it properly. A better way to do it is to pick one or two areas and then travel between them by train. That said, there are definitely some great cities that are very, very walkable. For instance, Kanazawa is an amazing city. So Kanazawa is on the north coast of Japan, on the Japan Sea side. It's a direct bullet train from Tokyo, just over two hours as well. It's this gorgeous little samurai town, an old castle town. It's got a castle, it's got temples, it's got shrines, it's got an old tea house district, Mm. which is one of only two in the country that actually have geisha working out of the tea houses, just like they did in the old days. It's got one of Japan's top three most perfect Japanese gardens, as rated by some independent (laughs) agency in Japan. Um, Ken Rokuen Garden is considered one of the quintessential three gardens. And Kanazawa, you can do essentially the whole city just walking through it in a day or two very easily. So following on from that, um, and I'm I'm hoping to be over this cold that I have (laughs) have had now for a bit, Um, uh, Hidden Gems. Now, you've sort of mentioned a couple already. Are there others that you would think about that that the traveller to Japan wouldn't know as well as you would? So they get something really special. Oh, absolutely. I mean, how, how much time can I talk about this? <laughs> ah, <here> you go. <laughs> so um, another great walking town that's very much off the beaten track, Kinosaki Onsen. That's also on the north coast of Japan, but that's down near Kyoto. Um, so it's basically due north of Kobe. Beautiful little hot spring town. And the idea about this town is the whole town is your ryokan. Now, a ryokan is a traditional Japanese inn. It's like a, a B&B. Um, you feel very welcome and at home there. And the idea in Kinosaki Onsen is that the ryokan or the hotel that you stay in there, that's your room. 
the streets or the hallways to your ryokan. And ah, there are seven wow, so-called exciting. public onsen, which are the hot springs wow. at your ryokan. So if you stay at any of the inns in Kinosaki Onsen, you get an onsen pass and you can use any of the onsen, the hot springs, in that town. So you're wa- very, very warmly encouraged to walk around the town in your yukata, your cotton robe, cotton kimono. Oh, Walking around town yeah. in a dressing gown. That's it. <laughs> oh, that's, that's right. what she was going to say. Springs. <laughs> <laughs> Lucky you've got oh, something I'm on. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's oh, so many more beautiful parts of Japan. A place very close to my heart, as I lived there for four years after uni, is Shizuoka. Mm-hmm. Shizuoka is about halfway between Tokyo and Osaka. And it's one of the larger prefectures. It's got more bullet train stations than any other prefecture cool. in Japan. You have my attention. <laughs> <laughs> and it's got a little bit of everything. It's got mm-hmm. the mountains and the hot springs. There's a steam locomotive. And if you've got little ones... Sometimes that steam locomotive actually brings in a Thomas the Tank Engine front to it, (laughs) which is so fun. Mm -hmm. There's beaches. There's hiking. If you are into sort of agricultural tourism, Shizuoka is the largest producer of tea in Japan, Mm. producing somewhere around 50% of all the green tea in Japan. It also produces wasabi and mikan, the Japanese mandarins. Mm. I mean, it's it's got – everything. And it's a bit of a quieter way of life. So it's a great contrast to the Tokyo and the Kyoto, which are amazing, big, energetic cities. And Shizuoka is just a bit more chill and laid back and Sounds a like beautiful Sounds like a great place. accompaniment to a visit that includes Tokyo and Kyoto or Osaka. Definitely. I was just thinking about Japanese food. It's one of those cuisines. I mean, I you know might play a game with my kids and say, if you could only eat one cuisine for the rest of your life, where would that be from? And the answer is almost always Italian and Japanese. So ah. I mean, that that there's obviously a lot of diversity in Japanese food, which is why it tops that list. Absolutely. Um, what's your favorite? dish or type of food? And am I going to have any trouble finding food on a stick over there? Oh, you will not have any (laughs) trouble at all. So my favorite on-the-go food is onigiri, the rice balls. You go to a convenience store, you get them for 100 yen, about a buck 50, and it's just delicious. You can get them with all sorts of different fillings. So first thing I eat in Japan, I land off the plane, Mm -hmm. I go to a convenience store, and I grab myself an onigiri. Mm -hmm. But my favorite food food is the street food. So okonomiyaki and takoyaki. Are you familiar with these, Ben? So is okonomiyaki like a pancake? That's right. Yeah, Yeah, it's often called a Japanese pancake or a Japanese pizza. And there's not really anything like it, I don't think. I think if you call it a pancake, you're going to be quite surprised. Um, And literally, it means grilled as you like it. So you can have all sorts of different fillings. You could have a seafood one, a pork one, a beef one, a chicken one, a kimchi one. So that's quite a lot of fun. Takoyaki is one of my favorites, especially because it's from Osaka. Um, mm-hmm. And Osaka is well known as the the B-grade cuisine capital of Japan. Mm-hmm. Takoyaki is literally translated fried or grilled octopus. But they're actually little dumplings, um, little round savory dumplings with a piece of octopus in the middle. So I know that may sound a bit strange, but I suppose if you like Italian food, Italians like their octopus as you well. You just said the magic D word. So <laughs> I'm down. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. But Japan has some inc- an incredible range of cuisine, as you just said. And I think one of the best ways to explore that range of cuisine is to go to an izakaya. It's basically like a Japanese tapas bar or a, a tapas 
pub. You order, you go with a group of friends, you order lots of little dishes, and you can try some sushi, and you can try some rice, and you can try some noodles, and some salads, and you can try some yakitori. Yay! Your grilled chicken on a stick. <laughs> and of course, there are specialty yakitori restaurants as well, and there's really nothing like walking in and smelling that charcoal grilled grill, chicken. Little yeah. Thing. yeah. Ben would be happy to eat off a stick for the rest of his life. <laughs> I can relate. Or chopsticks. It's all good. Yeah. But Japan does actually Italian food quite well as well. Um, some of the Michelin-starred restaurants in Japan are Italian cuisine. And Japan has this interesting take on Western food. So there's a category of Japanese food called yoshoku, meaning Western food. Mm-hmm. So it's a Japanese interpretation. And some of the dishes are very quintessentially Japanese now, like Japanese curry. You know, yeah. obviously curry is originally from India, but the Japanese curry yeah. is very, very different. Yeah. Um, it's a bit darker, almost more like a gravy. Yes. Um, there's also the omu rice, omelette rice. So you've got some rice, usually flavored with ketchup or something similar, and then a nice fluffy omelette <laughs> on top of it. Um, Hamburg steak, <laughs> essentially a rissel. There are whole restaurants dedicated just to this. Um, and another one of my favorites, tonkatsu. Kind of like a Japanese schnitzel. Yes. Wow. Oh, yes. I'm familiar with that guy. Yeah, 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 that's a favorite. And probably my favorite way to eat tonkatsu is to have it with curry. So combining two of those fantastic Japanese-style Western foods. Wow. What about – we know about um, sake as a traditional Japanese beverage and um, there's some big um, Japanese beer brewing companies. Yep. Are there any other – refreshments that we should be looking at when we're on the on the road in Japan? I'm so glad you asked this because, of course, people do think sake when they go to Japan. Mm. And, yes, there's no better place to experience sake than there. But there are certainly other great uh, adult beverages yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> in Japan. Um, one of the more popular ones, possibly even more popular than sake in Japan, is shoju. Have you heard of this one, Ben? Uh-huh. So shochu is often called a Japanese vodka. So it's a distilled liquor as opposed to sake being fermented and brewed. Mm-hmm. Um, so shochu is made from sweet potato, barley, or rice, sometimes a combination of them, wow. hence the comparison to vodka. Oh. And it's mostly flavorless, although some of them can be a little sweet. So one of the popular ways to drink it in Japan, especially at an izakaya, is in a chuhai, which is a shochu highball. Essentially. So you mix your shochu. It's a chu hai. Yes. So shochu, shochu, highball, chu hai. Sort of a portmanteau. And yeah, it's a little kind of easy to drink Japanese cocktail. But there's also some other great things like, have you heard of umeshu? Ume liqueur? Oh, well, you're in for a treat when you go, Ben. You'll have to mm-hmm. give this a try. Mm-hmm. So ume is a Japanese plum or apricot, and they um, make a liqueur out of it. Okay. So it's quite sweet, you know, obviously as liqueurs are, but it's great with some soda or on the rocks even. It can be beautiful. And do you know the fruit yuzu? I feel like it's coming yeah. up a lot in Japanese in Japanese cuisine here in Australia. So yuzu is a citron native to Japan, and they make a yuzu liqueur in Japan oh, as well. Nice. So you'll have to check that one out too. What about um, Japanese wine? 
Is there, there must be some. There is. I'm so glad you asked about this. Um, Japan actually does some incredible wine. So Yamanashi Prefecture, which um, is home to half of Mount Fuji, Shizuoka having the other half. Um, Yamanashi is well known in Japan for being a prefecture of grapes. So Yamanashi is considered one of the best places to go for wine. But there's also an incredible winery in Nagano Prefecture. So that could be coupled with a great trip to the the ski fields. Mm -hmm. Um, And I have heard from some sommeliers even that the wine from this winery in Karizawa in Nagano rivals some of the wines they've had from Europe. I think for a lot of Australians who perhaps haven't been skiing or um, haven't been, you know, haven't, haven't traveled much in Asia, Japan probably feels very foreign to mm-hmm. them. Are there any sort of tips for people who've never been there before or anything we need to be aware of culturally or any little thing, you know, faux pas that are easy to commit, which we, um, we should try and avoid? Oh, that's a great question, Ben. Thanks. So one of the things um, that's very easy to do is to stick your chopsticks into your noodles and leave them resting there while you're in between bites and things. Mm-hmm. Don't do that. That's okay. a big faux pas in Japan. Um, if in doubt, just rest your chopsticks across the edge of your plate or just on the table next to you. And usually in Japanese restaurants, you'll actually be given a chopstick rest right. so that you can set it on the table without getting the eating end of it on the table itself. Another common faux pas is to go into buildings with your shoes on. Yes. So a great tip for travelers is to wear comfy shoes that, if possible, you can slip on and off quite easily. Mm-hmm. Um, depends on the building. So if in doubt, you can ask. But a lot of temples, shrines, castles, even some restaurants, um, you actually need to take off your shoes, especially if there's tatami. Never walk on tatami with your shoes is that on. The woven tatami. Mat? Is that a, That's yeah. right. Those are the straw mats that are in a lot of old traditional houses and buildings. Um, another great tip is when you're taking the trains long distances, use a luggage transfer service so you don't have to worry about taking your luggage on and off the train. So this is a courier service dedicated just to luggage. Mm-hmm. And it's usually an overnight service. So plan ahead, pack a little overnight bag. But if you drop your luggage off at your hotel desk the night before you check out, then the following day, you don't have to worry about carrying your big bags around with you on your trains. Maybe you do a little sightseeing. And then when you check into your next hotel that evening, your bags are there waiting for you. So do you organize that with your hotel? Or have- yes, yes. Your travel agent may be able to organize oh. it in advance for you as well. But if you're traveling on your own, Yeah. It's a great tip. Absolutely. And when in doubt, the Japan official travel app by JNTO has a lot of great tips. It allows you to find your nearest free Wi-Fi hotspot, your nearest foreign card-friendly ATM. Um, That's actually another good one. Not all Japanese ATMs accept foreign bank cards. The Japan Post and 7-Eleven banks, 7-Eleven ATMs, those are the two pretty much for sure ones. But if you want to know, aside from that, the Japan official travel app is probably the best bet. I have a, a trip to Japan coming up, as you know, and that, that trip starts on Kyushu down yep. south. Um, and I'll be getting around on some trains and maybe even a, a bit of self-drive. Oh, fantastic. Um, what should I expect? Uh, I know nothing. I've got one night booked on arrival. That's kind of it. What, oh, wow. What, what should I expect? Well, Kyushu is – it is Japan, but it's a little bit more relaxed and easygoing than mainland Japan, than Honshu. So you can expect people to probably be a little bit more relaxed. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Because it's further down in the south of Japan, it'll tend to be a little bit warmer than mm-hmm. the rest of Japan. 
Um, so I understand you're going to Fukuoka, mm-hmm. Oita, and Kumamoto. Is Correct. that right? That's right. Yeah. Excellent. So Fukuoka is the gateway to Japan. And you can expect a very modern city that's still got some great traditional uh, culture there. You can expect some incredible street food. Great. Do you like gyoza, yep. the Japanese dumplings? That's, you said the D word. <laughs> Do you like hot springs? Sure. Okay. Oita is the hot springs capital of Japan. Hmm. So you have got to take in some hot springs while you're there. And there's this really cool feature in Oita where they've got what they call the hells of Oita. They're these incredibly vivid, incredibly pungent um, springs that you cannot bathe in, but they've got different colors, mm-hmm. which is a really cool thing to see. Um, another great experience in Oita is you can do a sand bath. So you lie down on the beach in a cotton robe, your yukata, and you get buried up to the neck in sand, <laughs> and steam coming up from underground gives you your own personal right. sauna. So Perfect. give that a try. Okay. And in Kumamoto, um, I think it's well worth visiting the castle. It is still under reconstruction, but they're going to be opening parts of it um, during that September through November period. Mm-hmm. For international visitors, so take the opportunity to have a look at what reconstruction of a feudal castle in Japan is like. Wow. Okay. Thank you so much. I can't wait. I'm sure you're going to have an amazing time. <laughs> Sally, that was um, amazing. Thank you for taking us on that incredibly rich and visual multi-sensory journey of Japan. I, for one, can't wait to go. I'm sure Julia's the same. I'm um, coming with you, Ben. <laughs> okay, excellent. If our listeners have any queries, how do they get in touch with the the um, Japan National Tourist Organization? Uh, they can visit our website, jnto.org.au. We've got lots of great tips, and there's an inquiry form there if they have questions. Right, and we'll have some information in the show notes I'm sure we will great so wonderful (laughs) thank you so much Ben and Julia it's been a pleasure to be here and I've really enjoyed speaking with you about Japan and thank you to all of your listeners for hearing what I have to say thanks so much thank you Sally sayonara Sally (laughs) arigato gozaimasu Uh, today we're very excited to be speaking with Sarah Tiong now Sarah is a Sydney foodie with a love of all things to do with Japan especially the food. And aren't we all like that, Sarah? Welcome to the show. Hi, Julia. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, look, it's our great, great pleasure. Now, tell us a little bit about you before we get on to the fabulous food. You made the top six on MasterChef in 2017. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, look, MasterChef was an insanely positive experience for me. It was such a fun time. Like it's so rare to be surrounded by so many other people that love what you love and that are just as into your passion as you are. Um, You know, and we actually went to Japan for a whole week. Well, we filmed over several weeks in Japan, but there was a Japan week um, launch of episodes, which is great. So what did you introduce to the public with Japan Week and Japan anyway? Because we're all sort of familiar with some of the Japanese food, but Japanese food is so amazing, we do need to know more about it. So whilst we're sushi and sakiing all over the place, what do you think the essence of Japanese cuisine is? I think really at the heart of Japanese cuisine, it's more philosophical. It's all really about celebrating ingredients and heritage. I mean, if you think about it this way, like Japan to me has a, like it's got incredible terrain and varied climates. You know, you've got the seaside, you've got mountains, you've got forests, um, and all of those things kind of act together to provide really superior fish, meat, vegetables. And when I went to Japan, that's kind of what I found. The fact that everything was so 
beautiful, not only like aesthetically pleasing, but just the flavor of everything, the freshness, the quality. Um, and I think with Japanese food, especially when you're cooking in, in Japanese cuisine, you really want to celebrate that with just simplicity and a little bit of grace. And I think that's the biggest takeaway from Japanese cuisine. Now, before we go into how you should look for your special eating places when you're in Japan, have you got a favorite recipe that's very simple that people could follow? Uh, there is one actually off the top of my head. It's one that I use quite frequently. It's a ponzu sauce. Um, and basically all it is is equal parts of soy sauce, equal parts citrus juice, um, a little bit of mirin just to sweeten it, and then you add in a little bit of um, kombu, which is seaweed, about the size of a credit card really. You only need a piece that big. And you add in some of that um, dried bonito flakes, put it all in a jar, shake it up, leave it for a day in the fridge and just let those flavors seep together. And it is the most amazing sauce on like barbecues, grilled meats, even salads and noodles. It's so fantastic. Is it bittersweet? Is that what it is? Yeah, it's got this like sweet, sour flavor going on. It's a little bit salty as well. It's just perfect. What do you love most about the food? You were talking before about the simplicity, but your your favorite uh, dishes, apart from the ones that you cook, if you're at a restaurant, what, do you, what are you ordering? So at a Japanese restaurant, I definitely order, well, it depends what kind of Japanese restaurant. Because in Japan, the restaurants are very, very different. So what I love about it in Japan is the fact that you'll get like a tempura store and they will only sell tempura. They don't sell sushi and, you know, anything else adjacent to it. It's just they do one thing and they master it and they do it so, so well. And the essence so, of tempura, of course, is – is um. Is, is frying the right word yeah, exactly. in a, a delicious Japanese batter, if you just describe that a little more? Exactly. So tempura is taking, you know, incredible ingredients, meat or vegetables, and coating it in the lightest, most crispy batter, and you fry it, and it's just absolutely like it just enhances the flavour of everything. It's not greasy at all. It's just really delicate and just such a nice thing to eat. And that ponzu sauce goes really well with it too. <laughs> and the oil that you fry it in? The oil that you fry it in. So in Asian cuisine especially, we don't use things like olive oil or something that has a strong flavor. You would use something like rice rice bran or sunflower, peanuts, or even um, grapeseed oil. Would be the best. So yeah. after tempura, what would you be doing? Tempura, oh, you can't go past yakitori. So yakitori are those little skewers of chicken that they grill over charcoal. Cooking over charcoal is like one of my favorite things next to eating something off a stick. So (laughs) yakitori is literally like it is heaven. It is so great to kind of just sit there, have this chef in front of you, literally grilling to order, and it's just so succulent and tasty. It's just a fantastic experience as well. Uh, So tell me a little bit about sukiyaki. Is that right? Sukiyaki, yeah, yeah. Go, because yeah. um, now is that what I used to do? Having a special little gas stove that I'd put on the table with a cast iron pot and have the sauce going, just bubbling away, and then just put in the meat, and everybody would pull out, cook their own, and pull it out and, and eat it. Exactly, exactly. Was wonderful. So, Haven't done it for a while, so my memory's not so clear. If you can take us through a sukiyaki dinner, yeah, a sukiyaki dinner is an incredible work. 
A sukiyaki dinner is an incredible way to get your friends and family around the table. It's such a great communal experience. And it's all about, as you said, having this huge pot in the middle of the table. You know, there's all these beautiful like mushrooms and vegetables, bits of meat. And basically it flavors that broth that it cooks in. And, you know, you can't just serve your own. Whatever you're looking for in the pot, that's what you get out. Um, and there's beautiful dipping sauces. And it's just a really, really nice way of coming together and enjoying a meal as a family or as a Now, the friend. special meat is marbled beef. Is that correct? Ah, now the marbled beef. So, you know, J- Japan's really famous for its wagyu beef, obviously, and that's got, like, incredible marbling of fat throughout the beef. So in a sukiyaki especially, if you can find, you know, really thinly sliced um, wagyu beef, that's going to add so much flavour to your to your soup and to the dish and it's just going to melt in your mouth. God, I think I need to go and have a little bit of sukiyaki right now. But uh, <laughs> before that, tell us about your travels in Japan, Sarah, what you I'm love tra- about it, where you've been, what you should advise people to do. Yeah, travelling in Japan is absolutely phenomenal. I, I highly recommend it to any traveller. It's such a great place to navigate. It's so easy. Public transport so quick. I've been to Tokyo, Osaka, and Kyoto, um, and I'd love to visit, like, the north, like, Hokkaido and even regional Japan. That would be great as well, um, and I think that's next on my list. But travel for me, especially in Japan, has always been really focused on food. <laughs> I love visiting, like, food markets, going to night food markets, Um grocery stores even just seeing what else is different and what else is out there so should 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 visitors to japan find the foodie areas where they are where they are staying and just wander them and walk them that's before they go off and see the cherry blossoms or go skiing of course because it's so good for skiing now japan oh oh absolutely would love to ski in japan um but if you're a foodie i'm gonna be honest i've never had a bad meal in japan it's almost wow. too find good food literally you're like the neighborhood ramen stand is incredible you know you've got as i said people do thing they do one thing and they do it really really well in japan um but i would definitely think about what types of dining experiences do you want do you want sort of high-end fine dining or do you want like the real you know street food stalls and and real mum and pop shops kind of thing um, and just base kind of where your accommodation is going to be on sort of what you want to eat as well. Okay, now given that you're our only guide for two or three days in Japan, you're the <laughs> only person we can speak to, Sarah, what are we doing? Okay, if we're going to Tokyo, there is so much to do. Um, definitely would start off with the Tsukiji Outer Market. That is one of my favourite places on earth um, and it is basically these winding alleys of incredible like snacks and made to order desserts and sushi and it's that area is famous for those um those big fish auctions now the fish auctions has actually moved away but the market stalls and everything there is actually still there and it's so so like it's a great experience it's really fun to to kind of just get lost in those streets um i'd also definitely take you guys for Tempura in Roppongi, as I said, it's so light, so incredibly delicious. And, in, you know, if kids are on the way, they're, um, they're definitely going to eat their vegetables through tempura as well. Um, if we're going to Osaka, absolutely have to try takoyaki, which are those, like, little seafood pancake balls, um, which are just so incredibly delicious with a little bit of that sauce on the top and a little bit of mayo. Japanese curry is fantastic. 
And there's so many like nature walks and beautiful sort of temples and castles to see in Osaka as well. And Kyoto? Kyoto, definitely have to visit a lot of the temples. Um, again, there are incredible food markets where you'll see heaps of pickles, heaps of preserved foods. Um, it's a much more traditional place and it's got some great history, great art, great museums. It's it's a fantastic place to visit as well. Now, what um, Ben and I often talk when we're, when we're just chatting to each other about where we've been um, and what we've loved. We talk about moments when you have a moment, which is an, an outstanding, breathtaking uh, experience that you have, what do you think it would be in Japan? If you had to say you had a moment, what would it be? My personal moment was actually – it was it actually happened on, on MasterChef when we were filming. Um, we actually had to film a cooking challenge in the tea field – at the foot of Mount Fuji. And it was so early in the morning, but at one stage we all kind of turned around to look at the mountains and literally the clouds parted before our eyes and the just the grandeur and the, the like the amazing view of the top of Mount Fuji just took my breath away. And it kind of just made everything seem that much more perfect, that much more you know, so positive and, and that experience was just made completely by that view. And we actually ended up cooking some incredible food that day and using incredible Japanese pork um, and the mountain vegetables and that ended up being one of my best dishes ever. So oh. absolutely loved that moment. Uh, sounds actually like a, an amazing moment. Well, lucky you, you know, experiencing yeah. it and then cooking as a result of it. Now tell us where we can find you, Sarah. Give us your website. Um oh. Your social media, whatever what you you can get people to you. Yeah, absolutely. You can find me and my food on Instagram at fillmytummy, or on youtube.com slash sarahtiong, or people can get in contact with me directly through my website sarahtiong.com. And and you know what, Sarah, you need to put up that little sauce recipe that you gave us as well, so absolutely. people can see it and go to their. Asian grocery food store and buy the ingredients and while they're there, have a walk around it and ask questions of the of the grocery store owner. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Sarah, Absolutely. great pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. Just amazing. And, and as a result of that, I'm going to find my cast iron pot, my cooker, and start doing sukiyaki again because it was delicious. And you're right, it brings absolutely everybody to the table. Amazing. Thank you so much for having me. Great awesome. pleasure. Thank you. Julia, that was a great episode. Can't wait for the next one. I love these podcasts. And yeah, me too. Great fun. Listeners, we need your input. A couple of reasons. We just want you to rate us so that we can do the best job we can for you. And it also helps other listeners join us. Yeah, help other people find um, Taste by Traveller. And of course, subscribe for your weekly dose of travel goodness. Speak to you next week.